And welcome to episode 170 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky and this podcast is for anyone else who likes going out under the stars. How was your week, Shane? Oh, it was okay. Um, Busy, busy, busy. A little bit of shoveling snow. (laughs) Um, Yeah. How was your week? It was good. Yeah. A little bit of snow uh, has fallen here and... uh, Apparently, we're supposed to get quite uh, quite a bit more snow this week, and maybe some freezing rain and and other uh, good stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of unfortunate that uh, that we're kind of getting into that. I mean, my street is is a skating rink right now, and uh, you know everything here is is kind of covered in in a very heavy layer of snow, and it's been cold. You know, it's been like into the minus teens uh, Celsius with the with the wind. I think. Yeah, especially in the evenings. Um, yeah, because that's been the other side of this too. Is it's it you know we we got the snow and then we got some wind and uh, the good news though, like you get off the side streets, it's not too bad at all. Um, yeah, but you know this is this is winter. It's likely here to stay. Um, occasionally, we'll get some you know weird warming for a week or two where some of this will disappear. But um, I think it's probably safe to say it's it's going to get colder before it gets warmer here. Yeah, probably. Probably. Yeah. So, uh, sounds like we have, uh, some Patreon supporters to thank, I think. Yeah. Again, you know, we've, we've been on quite the run here lately. So thanks to everybody who is supporting us on Patreon. Um, but we do have two new ones to thank, uh, Kenneth and Dave, thank you very much for supporting us on Patreon. It does, uh, it does mean a lot. It helps us with our expenses and, you know, Chris and I were just talking prior to this podcast about some potential, um, uh, you know, improvements that we'll make here possibly in the new year. It's sort of, I think that'll be our thing, right? Because you and I, Chris, I think we usually take some time off work around Christmas time yeah. and, uh, you know, it gives us a, a few free cycles during the day to kind of think about the podcast and, and put a little more effort into, you know, um, um, changing what we do. Like last year we added the website and yeah. um, see what we do this year. Yeah. We're going to try some, some stuff out here over the next month or so. And then, and then consider how we might uh, might roll that out uh, in the new year. But there, there, nothing is free, right? There's there's like small costs to doing all this. So, kind of with with the support of the listeners, um, it's 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 definitely going to enable us to to pursue some things if if we decide to uh, go in in those sort of newer newer directions that uh, the podcasting seems to to go in. I mean, I'm a fan of podcasts. I, I don't know how much you are into podcasting, but uh, I probably listen to probably five or six podca- different podcasts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. My library is gigantic uh, of podcasts that I follow. And I'd say per week, I'm usually listening to about, I don't know, three to four hours of podcast. Like I no longer listen to just regular radio anymore. It's either, you know, streaming my own music or listening to podcasts if I want to hear people talking. Yeah, I, uh, I do listen to, I, I don't have television, uh, so people should know that, so I don't pay for television and I don't watch it. I Actually, I streamed some TV the other night and my wife came in, She's and a commercial came on and she was just like, what is going on in this house? There's a commercial playing. Um, but anyway, so uh, mostly I just listen to podcasts and the radio. So, But yeah, I probably listen to about three hours a day of podcasts, actually. It's oh, yeah. sort of one of my favorite things. And because of that, and most of them aren't astronomy podcasts. I listen to just just a few astronomy podcasts from time to time, um, but I'm just I'm really interested in in the podcast medium 
and uh, you know, and, and doing uh, this podcast and combining it with something I love is uh, is is definitely really really fun to do and uh, kind of explore different ways of of doing it. Just uh, you know, as sort of an interest in itself, really. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that was my kind of reason behind doing this thing was just how do you do a podcast and you know, sort of learning the the ins and outs. So anyway, Pro- properly, properly. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. funny because. Because people find out now that I do a podcast and and they're interested, you know, if I just run into somebody and, you know, like uh, after we went back to work and people are like, oh, yeah, what are you doing? I'm like, you know, like, how did you make use of your sort of more free time during the pandemic or whatever? And I said, well, I actually, you know, uh, started collaborating with a friend on a on a podcast again. And mm-hmm. and people are always very interested in this. Oh, I'll check it out. Give me the name of it kind of thing. But when, when you and I did this before, all those years ago, and I would tell people I was doing a podcast, they were like, what is, what are you doing? <laughs> like, people yeah, had no why, idea what a podcast. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> totally. Nobody really understood it. And it was like, well, who's going to listen to that? And why, you know, why would they want that? And, and it's answer, free? What? <laughs> yeah, the answer is 50 people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was uh, not, not a flaming success. Um, but yeah, this, this has been, uh, this has been a lot of fun for sure. Clearly we are on 170. Okay. So, uh, did you get me observing in astronomy this week? Negative. The, the, it was not good this last week. You know, we, the, the part of winter here, like you and I have talked about, I think on previous podcasts is it's either really, really cold at night when it's clear or it's cloudy. <clears throat> and this last week was kind of a combination of both. Like I think, yeah. Most nights it was cloudy. I think every night it was cloudy. And yep. uh, we also had wind and colder temperatures. I almost went out last night. Um, I think of around 7, 7.30. Um, there were some sucker holes in the clouds and I could see the moon, but it was windy. I knew I would be fighting the clouds the whole night. And I just, uh, I, I didn't go out. It, it, that was enough to, to sway me to the couch and not do any astronomy, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I think that was wise. Cause, cause I looked at my, I, I looked out the window and it was cloudy and I went down and sat down downstairs for a short while, uh, actually working on, on the notes for today's podcast. And I looked at my watch 15 minutes later and said it was clear. And I'm like, it's not clear. At least it's not clear enough to do astronomy because, uh, you know, maybe there was like a big sucker hole or something that moved over, but you, you, you know, and then when I went up like an hour or so later, it was, it was totally cloudy. So I think yeah. at one point I saw Jupiter like through, through the clouds or something, but, uh, yeah, no, it, it, it hasn't been, uh, it hasn't been very good, um, at all. And, you know, and I find like this changeover period is always like, I don't know. It's always like the worst for some reason. It, it, it feels very cold, often much, much colder than it actually is. So, well, cold really is about adaptation. And, and, you know, I think one of the cool things about like just our bodies is, is the ability to adapt. And right now is that rough period where we're getting used to cooler temperatures and it feels really cold. The kind of paradox of this is that you know, in a month, these temperatures that we're experiencing now will feel quite warm because we'll we'll be used to much cooler weather. But I agree. I I just, this time of the year, I I find it challenging to want to go out in the cold, but I don't know. Um, A few daytime walks seem to work, you know, to get me acclimatized and then astronomy isn't so bad. Yeah. That's what I've been doing. I've been, been going out for a couple walks a day kind of thing. And 
and just trying to uh, to acclimate because it, it is kind of like the hammer comes down, right? Like we went from, you know, I think, uh, you know, five weeks ago, we slept with all the windows open in the house because it was still so warm out um, back to just a few weeks ago where, where I was, st- I went to the beach one day, um, you know, and then now we're having daytime highs of, I think one day was like negative seven was, was the daytime high. And, and you know, it's going to get much, much colder. Now where I'm from, what we're experiencing now would be the depths of winter or the winter never gets much colder than a daytime high of minus seven. In fact, I think in the city where I live most of my life was, uh, pretty much daytime high in the winter is, is around zero or one, or maybe negative one. That, that'd be very, very average. You can get colder days, but, uh, certainly not, not like we get here where I think we can have, I think we've had months where the average temperature has, has not been warmer than minus 31. I think one year we had a month like that. So definitely it's, it's much colder here and you definitely have to adapt. And like I went observing with Mike one night, um, not this weekend, but the weekend before. And, uh, I, I wore my sneakers cause it wasn't supposed to go below zero. And I find sometimes my feet get hot when I'm running around doing observing and that sort of thing. And, you know, uh, prefer to wear sneakers anyway, when possible. And, um, got out and I was setting up and it actually ended up being, I think about five or six degrees colder than forecast. And that's pretty common here. And, uh, so it was supposed to be three degrees and it was really minus two degrees. And that's a, a pretty significant difference because at three, I'm fine. As, as long as it's above zero, I can wear sneakers and I have no problem. But once, uh, once it's much below zero, I find my feet, uh, start getting cold and, and that happens. So I was really kicking myself for not throwing a pair of boots in. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that just goes with the transition. So, um, but here we are, it's winter time and, uh, the, the, you know, the thing that gets me excited about winter astronomy is just the, the different constellations and, uh, in particular Orion, uh, you know, there's just so much to look at in there. So, you know, that, that does get me pretty excited for, um, you know, bundling up and going outside to observe some of those things. Yeah. Well, I've been observing Orion for two months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. You just have to be up at four in the morning. That's right. Yeah. I get up in the, I start getting up in August and, uh, and taking a look at it because I know that these nights are not going to be the best nights for, for looking at Orion. Those, those nights in, in August and September are the best nights in my opinion. They are, they are. Yeah. If you, uh, if you can stay up that late or wake up that early, um, that definitely is the time to do it for sure. Yeah. You're, you're thinking of packing your bags. It looks like, (laughs) well, yeah, I'm still, I'm still progressing down the suitcase observatory path. Um, so just a quick update there. The, the mount is ready to go. So that is the Borg, uh, single arm fork mount. It's a, it's a very lightweight mount for smaller telescopes, uh, smaller refractors. Kenko mount. Is that what it's called? No, no, no. It's, oh. uh, it's Borg, uh, Borg single, just typing it in here. Single and, arm fork mount. It, it's and, very similar to the Kenko. Okay. Now I've never seen one of these in person, but the photos online look like it's, it's sort of a whitish beige. And then it looks like it has like a, like a timer on top or something for adjusting <laughs> the tension. Is that kind of what it looks like? Yeah. So it has setting circles on it for the, uh, the RA and the declination. Oh, wow. But it is a, it is an Alta as mount. However, 
like it, it can be if, it, like if you put it on a ball head um, mm. on your tripod, you can turn it into like an EQ mount to use mm. those setting circles. Um, it has slow motion controls as well. Wow. Um, so it, it's, it's got a lot of features on it for a tiny little mount. Is I it don't plastic. No, no, no. It's all metal. Um, Is it? Oh, it looked pla- See, I always like was like that thing looks like, but it's beige or something, isn't it? Well, it comes in two colors. There's like oh. a kind of a, yeah, like an off white. And then there's a, an all black one. Oh, um, what'd you get? Well, actually I have both. <laughs> Of course. Why should yeah, I? Ask yeah, this no. Well, and, and, and here's why. So there, there is an explanation for that. <laughs> um, I started off with the off white one, but the, so if anybody is going down this path, this is really important to know about this mount. And I discovered it through the school of hard knocks, which just means I bought it and then discovered, <laughs> um, the, the shoe on this mount is not standard for anything. Like, I don't know why Borg made it like this. Like it doesn't accept any of the, um, like camera dovetails. Ooh, so it's it not like one and a quarter or three sixteenths or whatever the heck. They no, are. no, no. That part, like the, yeah. So to attach it to a tripod, that part is standard. Um, oh, okay. it's the, it's the clamp, like the, the dovetail clamp or the shoe. Oh, because isn't it? Oh, it's that Arca Swiss. No, no, oh. it's, it's not, it's not anything <laughs> like I, so here's this, this is the front, like again, school of hard knocks. So, um, Borg sells in Arca Swiss rail, like, hmm. you know, so I thought, oh, okay. You know, that goes into this mount. Um, yeah, and in fact, yeah. in fact, um, there's, there's, there's probably three versions of this mount. The most current one accepts the Arca Swiss, but the older one. The one that I have uh, does not. You had to buy a Borg block, like a an adapter, that went in there, and then you would attach either your Vixen dovetail or whatever you wanted to this little. Like it's a proprietary thing, right? The, that that goes in there. So the mount is really useless without that because I don't know how you would attach anything to it. Um, so you can buy this adapter from, I think, TS Optics um, okay. over overseas for us. And to get it here was going to cost me like $150 Canadian, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, for this little piece of metal. And I, you know, I just didn't, I, I didn't want to do that. I thought that was crazy. So I put a want ad out on Canada Astro Buy Sell uh, to see if anybody had this mount and um, or or accessories. And anyway, somebody had the black version with the adapter for a pretty good price, and it came also with uh, another adapter so I can attach it to like a photographic tripod or like a more you know robust astronomy tripod with three eighths. Uh, I think it's three eighths inch, um, you know, screw or bolt or whatever to attach it. So it came with a few extra accessories. It was a really good price. That's the long version of the story as to how I ended up with two of these stupid mounts. But um, anyway, the mount is ready to go. So the next phase here is the tripod, which is on order. And uh, I don't know when that'll come in, but um, hopefully within the next month or two, and then that's sort of the last phase of this. And then it's really just figuring out which telescope will be the primary telescope, whether it's my little, uh, you know, one of the two fifty millimeters that I have, or if I use the, uh, William optic, uh, 61 millimeter Zenith star. Huh? So I got a couple of questions about it. What's the carrying weight capacity on it? Amount? Um, 
it's like four kilos or something like that. What? I think. Let me just see. It's only, it says it's only about a pound and a half. I'm just Googling this because I I heard you refer to getting this map before, but we've never talked about it. Mm -hmm. So, so Borg advertises that it can, you know, it can hold compact telescopes and spotting scopes up to 80 millimeters of aperture. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't think it would handle a very heavy telescope, you know, like, um, you know, triplets, you probably forget it. I I'm guessing that like your 60 millimeter tack would probably be the threshold for this thing. Oh, really? Yeah. I see some people saying 70, 72, like a lot of the Borg scopes are, uh, are pretty good. They say, people say like with the Borg 71, there's a 72 millimeter Borg. Now they discontinue the 71. They say that's kind of like the ideal. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I think it might be a little bit more capable in terms of capacity than the, um, what is that? The micro star you have? Yeah. The micro star pocket mount. Yeah. Yeah. I think this one might be able to handle a little bit more than that one. Okay. Yeah. I can, I can put my ADF five on, on the micro star, but I think that is at, at the end of, of its, uh, yeah. If it's, of its threshold. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. So anyway, I have a white one of these, if you want to, if you're interested, <laughs> but, but wait, what do I, what do I have? What would I have to do to get that working? Well, you'd need to figure out the block for it. I, I, you know what? I think you could probably 3d print that, you know, if, if you knew somebody that could 3d print properly, huh. um, because the, the block that I have, I think may have been 3d printed. It seems like a real hard plastic, although it has some Borg, like badging on it. So who knows, but, um, yeah, I I think that would probably get you by that's for sure. And you know, the neat thing. So I also have a a stellar view M one mount. That's a little bit older now. I don't think they make it anymore. Mm. And, um, uh, it's similar in terms of size to your, well, I know it's actually bigger than your micro star, but, um, I used to think that was a super lightweight portable mount, but compared to this Borg mount, like, it makes the stellar view M one look like a monster, like big, heavy. And it's really not, it's just this little Borg mount is super, super light. Hmm. So yeah, I'm excited to see how all of this works. Yeah. Isn't the M one like, isn't, isn't that like the big highway in England? Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Something like that. You've driven on it. Too. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Well, that's really yeah. I'm interested in in that mount. I'm I'm interested in so so much, but uh, yeah, trying to trying to stay focused on on what I want to do for uh, for telescope shelters slash observatory. Still still noodling around every every time I think I I'm settled on what I might want. Then uh, anyway, gotta gotta see where where I go with that. I think before I uh, do too too much. I'll still waiting on my on my mount back from Skywatcher, no word this week. Um, I'll send them a note, uh, maybe tonight or tomorrow and we'll see what happens. Mm, yeah. Hopefully that comes back soon. Yeah. Hopefully. Cause I don't really have a mount for my tack a uh, hundred millimeter until it does. Like I can put it on my, my, uh, I can put it on the, I have the tack uh, Lapides modified, which I, which I like, but that mount only really works on one of my, it's a pretty big tripod. And so at that point I might as well use my five inch Borg and 
it that's a lot of gear to lug out, like especially if I'm just going in my yard or driveway. So um, if I'm not going to use that, then I'm just going to use my uh, my 60 millimeter. And so that's kind of kind of what I've been doing when I've been going out and playing around with the 50 millimeter too. So, but anyway, yeah. So just just kind of kind of waiting on that, and then uh, yeah, still noodling around. I've, I've been reading a book on on observatories and all the different things you have to kind of think about uh, for for getting one because like once you set that up, it's that's that's it. It's you know you've kind of got what you've got at that point. So I'm trying to be a little bit careful in in what and how I do that. So uh, yeah. But uh, so are you renovating some wide field eyepieces doing there? Well, this is what happens when we don't observe. I start looking at, you know, equipment and gear and all of this kind of stuff. And I don't know why I haven't considered this previously, but like, you know, I have that big 41 millimeter pen optic and um, it's a wonderful eyepiece other than that it's quite heavy. Mm. And, um, you know, I'm very curious about, the, uh, the Pentex XW40 that you have, mm, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've looked through that eyepiece of yours many times and mm-hmm. I've always thought it was really good. Um, the, the one thing I've never really looked for too closely is the field curvature in that. But anyway, I'm thinking of maybe swapping them out because what I could sell the pan optic for, I could buy a brand new Pentex XW 40 yeah. millimeter and save like 30% of the weight. Yeah, that in my mind, it's kind of a no-brainer. Yeah, just I'm I'm I hate field curvature, so if I can see it, I I don't want it. But um, I don't really remember seeing it when I looked through that eyepiece. So I, I some people talk about it as you know it's really really pronounced, but I don't know. I've never really noticed it. Yeah, I mean, well, field curvature is in the telescope. It's not it's not in the eyepiece, and it just depends on if the eyepiece has some sort of correcting characteristics for that, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, we, yeah, I, I'd like to try, you, you can, you can try it out in your scope for sure. Like I, that would be great. Um, I would definitely recommend doing that at a darker site, of course. Right. Because, uh, yeah, for sure. you want to make sure that your eye is at least reasonably dilated because I'll tell you when I was comparing the Massiama in the city and then, and then, not necessarily comparing it. I was just using it in the city a few nights. And then I took it out to my dark sky site. It's just, uh, it's completely different experience. Like it definitely, these wide field, low power eyepieces, um, you know, they just work. They're just designed to work, or I guess, I guess we're designed to work, um, you know, under dark, under dark skies. um, So that your, your exit people on, on the telescope is matching with your dilated pupil. And once you're kind of much closer to that, it definitely is um, a much different experience. You know, it's, it's easier to, to use and look through and you really get a feel for the capabilities. Like, I mean, I have no problem if you want to come and get it and borrow it, but I think it's best if, if maybe we go out. Cause one thing I want to do is I want to try my hundred millimeter on your sky team out. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 I would really like to try that. And that I think, I think that would be interesting because that's a mount that I was always interested in and, and maybe we can, um, just, just to try it out. Um, because like I said, with my, um, AZ GTI kind of gone away and it is electronics, a little bit worried if it gets super cold again. Um, and I want to go do some observing with that scope. I thought, Hmm, it would be good to have, um, you know, another LDAS mount that I could, uh, that I could take out when it's, when it's really cold and not have to worry about the electronics. And plus that mount really interests me because 
you know, like I saw when you had it out, you, you had multiple scopes kind of set up on it. I think it looks super cool. Um, it's just a fun, it's like a bit of a playground, you know, if you're, if you're into small telescopes, I think that's an, a really cool platform to be able to hang uh, two or three telescopes off of, um, in the sizes that, that like we already own, like I already own a bunch of little telescopes. It would be cool to, for example, take my 80 millimeter out and have, have that, uh, on board when I have the hundred millimeter, you know, things like that. So anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a great mount for that. And it could easily handle both of those telescopes. Um, like it handles my, um, Teleview Genesis SDF, which is a very heavy telescope <clears throat> for the size. Mm -hmm. And then it also handles my 120 millimeter. Um, what is it? F 7.5, uh, Skywatcher ED, which is, a, mm. again, that's a big telescope, um, pushing probably, well, I don't even know what it would be all loaded up, but, um, probably 12 to 15 pounds is my guess. Yeah. Yeah. It, and I see people putting even larger telescopes on. And one thing I, I wouldn't mind getting at some point is like a six inch F5 Acromat. Um, there's, there's a lot of inexpensive ones out. I know I was, I was chatting to, to somebody this week and they, they were saying something like, oh, well, you're, you're probably not as interested in, you know, such scopes because, you know, you buy, you, you have some Takahashi's or whatever, but, but that's not true. I mean, I have, I have two Takahashi's, which are Apocromats and I have, uh, two Acromats that I use. I have the 80 F5, I have the 50 F5. I use the 50 F5 a lot. And it's, that's only, uh, I, I think all in that was like a $350 telescope or something. So it's not like a insanely expensive uh, telescope. It's, it's a little 50 millimeter Acromat. I really, I have it set up the way I like, and it's sort of a custom job, but you know, at the same time, it's not a super expensive telescope. It's just the way, the way I set it up. And that's probably what I would do with, with one of these uh, six inch uh, F5 uh, Acromats as well. That's sort of, one thing I'm thinking of, uh, sort of, uh, as we go down the road, um, you know, and I'm able to get something set up permanently. So uh, I like the idea of, uh, of those, those short, fast, uh, six inch, uh, optics. Yeah. I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those six inch acromats are something I've been watching too. And, and considering I was looking TS optics has, a uh, it's a F 5.9, 152 yeah. millimeter, that sounds quite good. Like that, it might be a step above a lot of the other six inch acromats in terms of uh, glass quality and, yep. and uh, just general quality. Now it's, it's not as cheap either. Like I think no. that's like 1300 euros or something like that. Yeah. It's, it's 950 euros. I've, I've looked at that one quite mm. a bit too. And uh, it gets, yeah, great, great reviews. It, uh, there, there's a couple of them that, that seem to be a little bit better than the others that there's that one. That's probably the best of the inexpensive ones. And, uh, like you said, it's 152, um, 900 millimeter focal length, which makes it like a 5.9 and it has just slightly better glass, um, than, than many of the others, but it's still an acromat. It's still going to give you quite a bit of color, but you can control. Now you're getting into the realm where you can control the color on this type of instrument with filters and that sort of thing. And then, um, the other one is the, uh, Bresser, uh, 152S and it's, a it's a 760 millimeter focal length, but that's not the native focal length. The native focal length is a thousand or twelve. No, yeah, it's it's somewhere between a thousand and twelve hundred. People figure it's just their f eight, 
and then it's got a reducer built into it. And it takes oh. that F8 down to um, around F5 or maybe just a hair above 760 millimeter focal length. Um, there are some challenges with that, of course, because here you have a telescope that only costs, I don't know, it's like $700 Canadian and it's got four elements in it and uh, could be problematic if, if they're not aligned. Um, but generally people say the newer ones tend to stay aligned. And then uh, you get a little bit of that benefit of having the, uh, the flatter field and the corrected field using the, uh, the, the elements that they've added to it uh, in that F5 package. So you got the color correction probably somewhere around an F7 or an F8. Um, and then you have the field flatness. You don't have as much field curvature inherently in it. And then you've got the field flattener in there. So you have a flat field. I thought maybe that might might be a good telescope for my uh, Masayama to to live in, and then pe- people even say that telescope can do decent power if, if you get a good one. So it's a bit of a dice roll. You mm-hmm. order it. If you get a good one, you've you've got a good one. If not, you're probably selling it and going back to the to the drawing board because you only spent you know a few hundred bucks on a six inch Acromat. So anyway, it, it looks like that one is it still being made? It looks like it's out of stock everywhere, and and B, B, uh, BH Photo is saying no longer available. Yeah. I, I think it is made in limited runs. It was never that popular. So th- this is a, this is a telescope that's sort of been around for a long time. Like it's been around for maybe the better part of 20 years. And mm. it was originally created and distributed by AstroZap. But the designer of this telescope was Glenn Spears here in Canada, but he could never get it and this is my understanding and just from what I've read online and I have had a few conversations with Glenn over the years, but my understanding is that, that uh, they could never get it so that the elements lined up. They're having uh, basically optical alignment challenges with it. Um, But I think Bresser solved that. Like the tube is, is a fairly modern looking tube. And it actually, I think is the same tube as the Mead AR6. And I'm, you know, the guess is, is that um, they figured they figured out that the Mead AR6 II worked best with those uh, elements and that they've they've kind of combined them all uh, in that Mead tube and then just relabeled it under the Bresser uh, brand name with with the added elements. There are other ones that have come out, like from Explore Scientific, which are also um, I'm not going to do my Windows update, are also uh uh, 152 F5s, but they didn't include those extra elements. So they were just simply like the straight acromat. So they kind of solved the challenge with it by simply removing uh, the correctors there. Um, but anyway, so the, the newest one um, probably is is the one uh, to, to go for. But again, they're only selling them in, in limited quantities. Um, but the reports from people that have had them have been generally positive. It's not... One of the challenges with trying to sort out reviews of these fast refractors is that, uh, well, one, a lot of the time, the people who get them, and I know somebody who had a six-inch F5 Acromat, um, but they weren't, um, they were more like a, like a beginner slash intermediate astronomer. And so, like, they, they, they got it, and then, of course, they take it out, and they point it at the moon, and they point it at the planets, and sometimes they would hunt deep sky objects, but... You know, when people first get into astronomy, they're, they're pointing out those bright objects and these telescopes don't really work well for that, A. And then B, a lot of the time they're, they're in big cities, these individuals who, who end up getting them. So 
So sometimes it's, it's difficult to fathom out exactly how those fast acromats um, would work for their intended purpose, which is dark skies and wide fields. And a lot of time, the people that are getting them um, aren't, aren't necessarily uh, using them for those purposes. So you get like this weird kind of mixed bag and then, and then, uh, you know, as well, like, are, are they star testing them? Like, what are they doing? Like, I know how to, we you know how to star test telescopes and, you know, I don't think that, uh, that those often do get star tested. And then you hear that some of them were reduced in aperture to increase performance and blah, blah, blah. So you really have to sort of be careful threading through everything with them. Yeah. Yeah. Lots to consider. Um, you know, another telescope that is sort of, again, thinking too much about gear probably because I can't observe right now. Um, Stellarview recently released a new doublet. Uh, it's the SVX, uh, 127 millimeter, uh, Apo. And, uh, what really has me intrigued with this one is it has a, um, a removable extension between the focuser and the telescope for wide field binal viewing. And then what it does is you don't have to use all of the optical adapters with your binal viewer. So it really maintains, um, uh, like your, your, well, again, your field of view, but also allows you to control the magnification a lot better because often to get a binal viewer to focus, you're adding, you know, the equivalent of like a one and a half to sometimes, you know, over two times Barlow, uh, just so the binal viewer will, will work. So, you know, trying to get a low power wide field, uh, view is, is really difficult, but if you have a, a telescope like this, it's easily converted so that you can use a binal viewer natively. And then it's really like, you know, you get all of the sort of experience of a single eyepiece, but now you're using the, the two eyes to, to view. So I'm kind of intrigued by it. So what is it? It's, it's a, like a tube that you can remove. Yeah. Yeah. Like it looks like it, it's almost, you know, I think it's similar to like the Takahashi experience where, um, like there's this tube that screws into the OTA and then the focuser, I don't know how it attaches, if it screws in or if there's, you know, some sort of tensioner there. Um, and then the focuser attaches to the back of this extension. And then that's how you would just use it mono viewing. Um, and then if you want a bino view, you just remove that, that tube. I don't know how long it is. It looks probably, I don't know, I'm guessing six to eight inches. Um, and then the focuser would attach directly to the OTA and you're now ready for a bino viewer. So which one is it? I'm looking at the Stellar View site. It's the SVX-127D. Okay, it's the D. I was looking at the 102. Um, well, yeah, that was, the, the 102 doesn't have the binal viewer kind of capability. Hmm. Yeah, you could, you could wait and try to find like uh, one of the uh, Borg 125SDs. They do come up from time to time. Yeah. You know, I, I have thought a lot about, you know, a Borg telescope for binal viewing because like, you know, as you and I have discussed, Borgs are just extremely modular. You can get all sorts of different sized OTAs. You can combine them. You can remove you know, portions of them. Um, so essentially you could buy a Borg and then buy the right tube components to get it the right focal length for your binal viewer. So that that is uh, a possibility for sure. Um, it just, yeah, it's a little bit of a waiting game to, to wait for the right one. Yeah. One thing you could also, uh, you, you could look for um, like a used TAC 100 DC like mine because it has a removable tube in it. I don't know if you know that or not. Um, oh, how big is that? Like how long is that portion that's removable? Do you it's know? Pretty, three inches? 
two and a half inches, something like I, that. That might not be enough, but I can, I mean, I can measure it. It's sitting yeah, downstairs. Yeah. <laughs> what, what some people do too, and, and this, you know, is not for the faint of heart, but some people will chop their telescope tube, you know, for bino viewing. But then the issue is it almost becomes permanent bino viewer, unless you have an extension on the back, like the stellar view. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know if I'll do this or not. Like that's kind of wishful thinking at this point anyway. Yeah. Well, the, the TAC 100 DC comes with this. Uh, it's sort of like that, uh, that hospital gray or green um, tube that that's on the back of the white tube. So you have your, your, your regular white telescope tube fuselage or OTR, whatever you want to call it. And then there's a silver ring and then there's a bit of a step down and you have this um, it's a heavier metal segment. And then you attach your focuser to that and the whole thing un unscrews. I took it all off when I got it just to see how it worked. And then I, I took the, uh, the original tack focuser off and I put my focuser on that, that gives me uh, the range that, that I wanted to have with the telescope, but you can also take that extension off and then you can just simply, I, I think you can either screw your focuser right into the um, main tube or you get a little adapter to do it. I think adapters are, are available from a few different sources or maybe even Takahashi um, if it doesn't thread directly on. But I think for some reason it just, you can thread the, the focuser right on to, to the back of the uh, silver um, tube that's on the white fuselage. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, I'll have to check that out. Um, the, the other telescope that is always on my list of potential, you know, purchases in, in the future is the, uh, the 100 DZ. <laughs> um, and, and one of our listeners, Peter, that we were corresponding with just ordered one. And I mentioned that that's been on my list for a while, but, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'll buy anything anytime soon. The, um, Kind of the funny thing, I think, between you and I a little bit is, you know, I've got the wide field four inch and you're the wide field lover. So I don't yeah. know, maybe, maybe we should just trade. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that that DC, I got to say. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like my favorite telescope uh, for many reasons. Um, because it's so it's the, the tack 100 DC is so lightweight mm -hmm. and and they do they do go on sale which is also a little bit strange. And so they can be picked up used for really quite amazing prices. Um, in a way, I think actually uh, per, per millimeter of aperture, it's the least expensive Takahashi. And out of all the ones they've looked through, it's the best. Um, mm -hmm. is it, so it's kind, of, it's, it's kind of a shocking little telescope. Now, the reason, one of the reasons why is that it comes with the uh, one and a quarter uh, focuser. And most of us now wish to use two inch focusers with these telescopes. However, it's a there's a very simple and inexpensive solution for this. There's a beta adapter. I forget the, the number of it, but uh, geez, I think it costs like 60 or 70 bucks or something. It's nothing to add it on. And, and now you've just converted this, this inex relatively inexpensive Takahashi to uh, two inch format. And now I had already... Sort of had a bit of a test drive with my um, with my FS sixty, which is not in you know per per millimeter of aperture. I think it's among the more expensive Takahashi's, um, but uh, but I think I think actually I think I only paid twice um, for my hundred millimeter uh, what I paid for the FS sixty uh, and brand new from mm -hmm. from Takahashi. So yeah, I'd, I I. 
I'd have a lot of reservations of getting anything um, other than than the DC um, 100. The, the DZ I hear is is better in some respects, being that I think they use a different mating element. It is an F8 versus F7.4, and it has a sliding dew shield, mm-hmm. um, which gets mixed reviews. And so, um, because of all this, it actually is considerably heavier. So it gets into the realm of a five inch, um, like it, it's the same weight as my five inch apocrymat. So I kind of was like, no, even, even all things being equal and they're not the price difference and the weight are, are two, two really big things to consider. So you're, you're really getting a telescope that weighs more like a five inch class, um, apocrymat. And then, um, you know, yeah, it's the Takahashi and maybe it's, you know, and I've even read reviews by people that have owned both and they say it's, yeah, it's maybe a little better, but, uh, boy, I think for those two kind of trade-offs, um, it's, it's pretty tough because I think it's like a thousand dollars Canadian more. I think, I think I'd have an awful lot of trouble spending the money for that. But anyway. Yeah, for sure. There's a, there's a big price difference there. Um, it, uh, it, like I say, it's on my list. Not sure if I would do it anytime soon or at all. Um, the, the little FOA 60 has always been on my list too. Um, but again, I don't know if I really need to buy a telescope right now. I think I have probably enough to last me probably the rest of my life. So, <laughs> yeah, me too. Although, although, you know, and it's funny cause, um, and we're not, we're not going to have time to read Paul's email, but, um, in, in his email, he was kind of, uh, sort of, you know, uh, mentioning that he has some big, uh, uh, reflectors and, and had some small and has some small refractors. And then, um, you know, he was, uh, you know, listening to the podcast and, uh, was a little bit puzzled by our emphasis on the, on the smaller refractors. Although, you know, we do observe with Mike and he's, he has a 12 inch and I, I recently had some spectacular views through it. It's, it's an Orion, um, 12 inch F49 that he uses the Paracore two in. And, um, I actually have, and I've had it for like 20 years, uh, but, and I've used it a bit. I have a, a 12 inch F 4.8 or 4.85. It's basically, um, the equivalent of, of Mike's telescope. Um, but I just don't, don't really use it that much because I like the refractors for their portability and, and getting out to the dark sky sites. And then, uh, and then here comes Mike when I observe more than half the time with Mike, here he he's showing up with the 12 inch anyway. So we kind of uh, share quite a few views and uh, you know, that I get, get that 12 inch experience quite a bit, but uh, I was thinking maybe I should uh, get my, my 12 inch built into a proper um, proper telescope tube so that I can actually use it. So I actually haven't used it in probably in six or eight years. So hmm. yeah. Yeah. Time to revitalize that one. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Did, uh, did hear from quite a few listeners this, this week, just sort of mentioned Paul there and then, um, was chatting with, uh, one of our newer listeners in, in Brazil and which is, which is really great because they were sending me these beautiful, uh, photos that they were just taking. I don't know if they were taking them on with, with a DSLR or their cell phone or what they were, the photos were spectacular. I think you saw a few of them. Well, yeah, though, though. I, I, unless you had some side conversations, yeah, um, I did, <laughs> uh, I did see a couple of them and, and that came through the, like the podcast account and yeah, they were quite nice. 
Oh yeah. And so it was actually, when he was sending those, it was, it was like pretty much like not quite a blizzard, but it was really snowing here. Um, and it was like our first snowfall of the year. And I was like, oh, it's snowing. I'm not going to be doing as much astronomy now. And then uh, it was really amazing just to have these spectacularly beautiful, not astronomy photos really, um, but just beautiful uh, pictures of, of the Brazilian countryside, which is very different from, from what I had in my mind, what it would look like. Um, I always had heard it was beautiful and I've, I, I had known um, through acquaintances, a couple of people from Brazil um, at one point when we first moved here. And, uh, you know, they had told me some stuff, but I didn't see any photos. And then um, when I was getting these photos, I was really intrigued because I guess, I guess they have quite a bit of a dry season there and the astronomy can be, can be pretty decent. And of course, they're in the Southern hemisphere. And, um, and then as well, um, they'd actually sent me a, a, a screenshot of the moon uh, the other night. And this, this is really cool. So they were observing the moon. It was totally cloudy here. We weren't doing any, any astronomy. And, uh, and our friend Dave Chapman was um, doing a lunar X observation at the same time. And so when our observer, uh, in Brazil sent me, sent me the photo, I tweaked it a little and you could see the lunar X, uh, in his photo as well. So I, I was able to kind of pull that out a little bit more for him and, and send the image back, which was, uh, that was really cool. That was really oh, neat. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, I think, uh, we've kind of more or less made our way through the notes today. <laughs> yeah. Sort of here and there. <laughs> a few side conversations. That's not bad. Yep. Good stuff. Do you have anything left to add, Shane? No, that's all, Chris. All right. Well, thank you. And thanks everybody for listening. Thank you everyone for listening. And we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <laughs>